Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Erev Tov, everybody. Hope you are doing well. It's uh, nice to be back online after our winter vacation. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to um, to restart the Amidah series that uh, we haven't seen in quite a few months. We took a little break since last winter when we began studying the Amidah. That is why you will see that the title of this is called the Amidah Part 22. Where are the first 21 parts? The first 21 parts you will find uh, on our podcast website at uh, www.findingholiness.com or www.findingholiness.buzzsprout.com. We are actually smack in the middle of the study of the Amidah, the daily tefillah. We have lots of amazing material and content uh, for the first uh, main brachot that we went and discussed uh, last year. Uh, I want to thank tonight's sponsor, Mr. Jack Esses and uh, and family, who sponsored tonight's year in memory of his late father, Mr. Shlomo Esses Zichrono Libracha, which was his past Shabbat. May the words of Torah that we say this uh, this evening be lilu nishmato haim. So, like I mentioned, we are in the middle of the Amidah, the study of the Amidah, specifically the tenth Beracha. We are in the 10th blessing. So if you want to look and hear about the first nine, I uh, encourage you, I urge you to go check out the website to listen to the recordings. We have wonderful information there. So the 10th blessing, Kibbutz Galuyot, that of the ingathering of the exiles. We are studying the works of Rabbi Zev Lef Shlita, who are in his phenomenal uh, masterpiece on the Shmona Esrei and the insights that he produces in that sefer. He writes that the Beracha of Kibbutz Galuyot, the ingathering of the exiles, is the bridge between the first set of bakashot, the first set of requests, which are of personal nature, uh, wisdom, repentance, forgiveness, sustenance, and all that that we've spoken about till now, and the second set of requests, which we are yet to see, we will see them uh, in, in a few weeks' time, which are more on a national level. The requests of the return of the judges, the Sanhedrin, the destruction of the wicked, the Minim, Shinim, the rebuilding of Yerushalayim. This is the bridge, Kibbutz Galiot, to transform individuals into a united group, to go from individual to plural, to group. It can only be done with Eretz Israel. It can only be done with Israel. Kibbutz Galuyot acts as the function to lead us to the ultimate uh, Geulah. Some say that we have already begun to see the ingathering of the exiles, the Kibbutz Galuyot. Some it started with maybe the fall of the Iron Curtain, the mass Soviet immigration to Israel. Many people that have visited Israel will know that there is a large presence of, of Russian Jews that made their way to Eretz Israel after the fall of the Soviet Union and the fall of the Iron Curtain. Uh, one will also see uh, many thousands of Ethiopian Jews. Uh, just recently, we celebrated the Sig holiday, which uh, commemorates the day that the um, Ethiopian Jews were 
permitted to come into Eretz Israel and be residents and be recognized as Jews. A, lar a large part of that goes to, um, big thanks, goes to Chacham Ovadia Yosef, Zecher Tzadik Vekadosh Livracha, who um, very famously wrote in his Teshuvah that the Ethiopian Jews are legitimate Jews and are allowed to join Klal Israel, just like all of us. And uh, you will see many thousands of Ethiopian Jews in Eretz Israel, another in gathering of the exiles. Uh, this is the start. This is the start of Kibbutz Galiot, the, 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 the beginning which precedes the days of, of Mashiach. Now, however, we cannot confuse ourselves to say that this is actually the start of the Geula. It is not the start of the Geula. It precedes the Geula. Uh, the, the Geula only happens when Hashem instructs Melech HaMashiach to begin the process, okay, and uh, and therefore uh, we you know we, we have to be careful when we say it's the start of the Geula. There's no questions. We are in the the moments before the Mashiach coming, and we hope the Geula. We pray that the Geula is imminent, and it is imminent. And uh, but nevertheless, this is uh, all signs that it is very very near. Mashiach's mission, one of his major jobs, is to gather the dispersed Jews from all around the world together with the building of the Bet HaMikdash. And that's when people are going to know that, that this person is the Mashiach, when he is actually successful going around to various countries, collecting Jews from abroad, bringing them to Eretz Israel, and instructing to build them, uh, the Bet HaMikdash. We know that he is the Mashiach. The gathering of the exiles takes place over three stages. And uh, each stage corresponds to a different part of the Beracha. Today, Bezat Hashem, we're going to look at the first two stages. And uh, next class, we will, we will see the third stage. Stage one of the Kibbutz Galuyot is represented by the first statement of the Beracha, which says, Teka Beshofar Gadol Lecherutenu. Sound the Shofar. For our freedom. What exactly, what exactly is this freedom that the author of the blessing is referring to? So someone is saying it means freedom of movement. The fact that we don't have any more political restrictions. We can do what we want. We can go where we want. And that freedom comes from the blast of the shofar. And with that will come the uh, an arousal that to, to act as spiritually infused Jews, uh, because every Jew has a very deep desire to do the will of HaKadosh uh, Baruch Hu. The Gemara tells us that there are only two things that prevent a Jew from fulfilling God's desire. What are those things? Se'or shebe'isa v'shibud malchuyot. The leaven that's in the dough and the subjugations of, of the nations of the world. Shibud malchuyot. Of course, the leaven in the dough is uh, not to be taken literally, but rather it's a metaphor for uh, the, the Yetzir Hara, the Hametz, the leaven, is a euphemism for the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination that prevents us from doing God's will. It acts us act uh, uh, with ego. Uh, it makes us act with arrogance, like the leaven, Hametz, represents the Ga'ava of a person. And uh, Gava is the Midah that actually hinders us from performing Hashem's mitzvot. So we have the Se'or Shebe'isa, and as well as the Shibud Malchuyot, the subjugation of nations of the world. 
The Yetzirah is like the leaven because it superimposes other desires that suppress and re repress the spark, the inner spark that every Jew has inside of him or her. And Shibud Malchuyot actually has two facets to it. There's a physical um, and political repression that prevents us from doing mitzvot. You can say like um, the Greeks or the Soviets, that, you know, this has been around for a long time. You get caught doing a mitzvah, we're going to beat you. Sometimes we're going to jail you. And, it's, uh, and we're going to make your life miserable. Uh, so there's the physical aspect of subjugation. And then there's the cultural subjugation and lifestyles that were forced by the nations upon the Jewish people, depending on where, uh, where the Jews lived at the time. Again, the Greeks was a perfect example of that as we just finished the holiday of Hanukkah where we celebrated that victory specifically, that, we, that although the Greeks didn't want us to uh, perform certain mitzvot, but they tried to impose uh, their own values and cultures to the Jewish people and and uh, make us all Hellenists. And uh, and some, unfortunately, did fall prey to that. And uh, and others, Baruch Hashem, were able to overcome that. So it's a desire, uh, it's a desire to copy the styles and to copy the fads of the people around us. That is called cultural subjugation. It's also part of the concept of Sheibud Mal Chuyot. So what acts as the freedom? When we say, The Torah, the Torah is indeed the freedom of these two. It leads us to freedom of the Yetzirah and Shibud Malchuyot. The Torah writes that we are to in, um, engrave onto the Luchot, Harut al Haluchot, the Ten Commandments. Harut al Haluchot, but the Gemara says, don't read it Harut, don't read it engraved, but rather El Harut. Read it as freedom. Freedom can be found on the tablets. Freedom can be found with the study of the Torah. Freedom from what? Freedom from the Yetzirah. Freedom the Shibud Malchuyot. When the world of Hashem penetrates through the physical stone, then we're left with spiritual freedom. That's what happens when we etch in the uh, the holy words of Akadosh Baruch Hu, the words of the Torah, we are left with spiritual freedom. Barati Yetzer Hara, Barati Torah Tavlin, the Gemran Kiddushin, Daflamer Amudbed 30b says that God created the evil inclination, and to combat the evil inclination, we have the Torah as its remedy, as the ability to remove that evil inclination. So the first step is to free ourselves of physically and spiritually uh, oppressive influences, and only then, only then can we worry about the unification of the Jewish people. Otherwise, it's uh, it's impossible. If we're not able to release ourselves from these physical restraints or spiritual restraints, how are we able to come together? We're, we're, we're stuck. We feel like we're in a spiritual jail. If if we have the Shibud Malchuyot or we have the Yetzirah, if the nations of the world are, are, are superimposing ideals upon us that we're not able to act the way we, we want to act, or if the Yetzirah is in total control of us that we cannot perform mitzvot, or we are performing, God forbid, Averot, then there's no way that we can unify the Jewish people because we have to worry ourselves. Now, there's two reasons why this is the case. Number one, the Mishle, Pasuk says in Mishle, which is another series that we started, which we hope to get back to soon. Pasuk in, uh, in Mishle, Perak Yudchet, Pasuk Aleph. Le Ta'ava Yevakesh Nifrad. 
The Pasuk says, Shlomo Melech writes, when one is obsessed with material desires, he seeks to be alone. He seeks to be secluded and aloof. He's no interest in being with others. He lives in his own world. I'm happy what I do. I'm happy when I drink. I'm happy when I gamble. I'm happy when I, um, you know, I speak. You know, I, 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 do, I see bad things or I hear bad things. I want to be in my own world. I don't want other people to know it. You know, why would I want to be unified with other people? Why would I want other people to know what I'm doing? I'm happy where I am. And therefore, when a person is obsessed with the ta'avot of the world, with the physical desires of the world, he wants to be uh, by himself on his own, living in his own world. Um, and the second reason why we cannot be unified is because true unity only exists in a spiritual plane. Physically, we are all separate bodies. I am sitting here by myself. My family is in uh, other rooms of this home, and you are in your own room listening to this right now. So physically, we are all separate bodies. But spiritually, spiritually, we are part of one single soul. We actually all stem from the soul of Adam HaRishon. And, um, and, and then later on, Yaakov Avinu. And as progeny of Yaakov Avinu, uh, we are referred to as Shiv'im Nefesh. We just learned about how Yaakov Avinu and his family came to Eretz Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt, uh, to escape the famine. And the Torah describes Yaakov's children and descendants as Shiv'im Nefesh, 70 soul, soul in singular, because we are indeed, it was 70 individual bodies, but it was part of, of one soul. And those are the two reasons why we need to release ourselves from the physical and spiritual subjugation in order to unify. Number one, when we are obsessed with physical desires, we just don't want to be with people. And second, because true unity means that I have to be on a total, total spiritual plane and not um, I'm not physical whatsoever because physically we are all separate and unique bodies. Um, what is the role of the shofar here? Teka shofar gadol lecherutenu. The shofar is actually a prelude to kibbutz galuyot. What's the nature of this shofar? Why is this the medium for the this awakening to get everybody to come together and and unite in Eretz Yisrael? So the source of this shofar, many of us know, is from the ram that was offered in place of Yitzchak Avinu during the famous Akedat Yitzchak mentioned in Parashat Vayera. That ram actually had two horns, the left horn and the right horn. The left horn was the horn, the shofar, that was sounded at Har Sinai when, during Matan Torah. That's the horn that they used to blast the, the sound. And the right horn, which is, is the one that's going to be sounded at Kibbutz Galiot. This shofar represents self-sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because only then you are totally free. When I give up my comfort, when I give up my desires and my physical pleasures, that makes me more prone to unity because I'm giving myself all up for Hashem. I give myself all up for others. My life and my desires, my, my food, whatever I enjoy is, is meaningless because I want to be with other people and I specifically I want to be with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Gemaran Masechet Sanhedrin, Davkaf Amur Aleph, uh, talks about the generation of Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli. Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli was one of the Tanaim in the Mishnah. He lived at the same time as Rabbi Meir Balanes. They were contemporaries. Often you will see in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Meir Omer. So this Rabbi Yehuda is Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli. This past summer was Zoche 
to be at his kever and uh, and pray for for many people. It's a big segula to be there and pray for parnasa. Um, but the generation of Rabbi Yehuda was extremely poor, so poor that the Gemara says there was one blanket for six people. That's how poor they were, one blanket for six people. So all commentators ask, how is this even possible? How can you have one blanket for six people? It's impossible because everyone's going to be pulling their blanket and no one will be covered. So the, 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 the Chachamim explain, every person was worried for the other individual. I'm worried that the person next to me should be covered, so therefore I'm going to push the blanket more to him. And the, the fact that everybody did that and cared for the person next to them, it turned out that it was exact. Every person had the exact same amount. That was unity. That's coming together. Shofar is a representation of the sum of all nature. If you think about it, there are minerals into the vegetable world. Okay, and the, 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 the vegetables that grow from the ground are filled with minerals and, and vitamins. That's why they're so healthy. Okay, and it's those vegetables that are consumed by animals. Uh, the horns then grow on the animals that mimics plant growth. And it's it, it, basically, it forms a crown, but it's hollow. Um, and and it, it, it contains all these incredible minerals because the animal ate from the vegetables, but it's hollow. And it remains hollow because it lacks any inner value to it until, until man comes and takes the horn and blows his neshama. He blows his spiritual neshama into it. And that's how he communicates with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's why we take the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. That's why we take the shofar on the Yovel. And we blow the shofar where we infuse into the physical horn our spiritual connection with Hashem, so our neshama through the breath that we that we have. The shofar also represents the value of human life because it reminds us that God chose the sacrifice of the ram in place of Yitzchak, whom He allowed to live because um, because He was He was ready to give His life up for Hashem. But Hashem said, "No, I want you to live rather than die." Al kiddush Hashem that teaches us the value of life. But life is only worth it if lived with the proper priorities. One moment of Teshuvan Ma'asim Tovim in this world, says the Chachamim, is greater and more valuable than all reward in Olam Haba. So when a person lives life filled with these uh, uh, prop with the proper priorities and what life is all about, then that's represented by the Shofar because. The shofar is something that we use and blow in the most auspicious moments, in the holiest moments of our world when we show Hashem, this is all for you. This is all for you. That is the first stage. The first stage is this concept of let's blow the shofar and sound so that everybody understands we're here on a mission and we're going to come together for the sake of Hashem. The second stage is the incentive to unite. We need an incentive to unite. It's one thing to hear the sound. But what is going to get us to come to get together? That corresponds to the second statement in the Beracha. Vesa nes lekabetz galuyotin. Raise a banner to facilitate the lekabetz galuyotin, to facilitate the ingathering of our exiles. There needs to be an aspiration, an ambition to do it. And that banner is the incentive to unite. 
after we understand the importance. If you think about it, Matan Torah was given, when Am Yisrael were together at Har Sinai, the Torah tells us that they were Vayichan Sham Yisrael, they encamped by the mountain. Why doesn't it say Vayichan and not Vayahanu in plural? So Rashi famously writes, according to Midrash, Keish Echad Belev Echad. Keish Echad, like one man with, like one, with one heart. Very nice. It wasn't just a nice thing, though. It was a necessity. Because no single person can fulfill all 613 mitzvot. They needed to unite as one. The Kohanim, the Leviim, the Israelim, the women, the kings, each one have their own mitzvot. I cannot perform a mitzvah as a Yisrael that a Kohen can do in the Bet HaMikdash. And the Kohen cannot do the mitzvah that is reserved for kings. And the Levi cannot do a mitzvah that is reserved for women, and women cannot do a mitzvah that is reserved for men. And therefore, every person on their own cannot fulfill all 613 mitzvot. They needed to be Vayichan Sham Yisrael Echad Belev Echad because only when they're united together they can uh, fulfill all the all the mitzvot. That is the concept of Kol Yisrael Arevim Zelazeh. Every Jew is really connected to to another Jew, and my actions actually help someone else across the globe. And you know what 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 the Kohen does. He does not only for me, because I help him on the way back as well. In return, I reciprocate. So we are all together in this mission of keeping all 613 mitzvot. There was once a man um, that approached the Hafez Chaim. And he asked him a good question. The question he asked was, Rabbi, why are there so many different approaches to Judaism? You know, you have the, you have the Sefaradim, you have the Ashkenazim, you have the Hasidim, even amongst the Svaradim, you have the Moroccans, you have the Syrians, you have the Egyptians, the Lebanese, Tunisians, you have the Hasidim, you have this Hasid and that Hasid. And he asked, well, wouldn't it be better to just have one? Let's just have one. It's a question that I think is asked by many, many people. And like, why do we have so many different ways to practice Judaism? And this is the question that was posed to the Hafez Chaim. And the Hafez Chaim asked, uh, answered, by giving uh, uh, the example of a king of an uh, uh, of a nation or a czar of an army that has different departments and different divisions in the armed forces, there is the army, there is the navy, there is the cavalry, there is the infantry, and all need each other. You cannot rely on the navy to perform the the battles and fight the battles on land, and vice versa. You cannot. Uh, you know, expect the army and the infantry to go out there and uh, and and deal uh, with the air force if they're not if they don't know how to fly planes uh, or on sea on uh, on the boats. So we all need each other, and that's the reason why says the Chafet Chaim we are called Sivot Hashem. We are the armies of God in plural. Each one of us are able to defend HaKadosh Baruch Hu through our Torah and Mitzvot in different different ways. The word Yisrael stands for Yesh Shishim Ribo Otiot La Torah. There are 600,000 letters in the Torah. That's what the word Yisrael stands for. Now, it's a very, very interesting and cool acronym, but it's actually not true. There are not 600,000 words in the Torah. 
there was actually only 304,805. So the number given by that acronym is double than what there it is actually. So what does it mean? Why would the Chachamim say that this is the Rashi Tevot, 600,000 letters, when it's really just half? How do we make sense of this contradiction? And the answer is, pay attention to what the acronym stated. It doesn't say, Yes, Shishim Ribo Otiot Batora. It doesn't say there are 600,000 letters in the Torah, but rather it says, Yes, Shishim Ribo Otiot La Torah. There are 600,000 letters to the Torah, meaning in addition to the 304,000 that are already there, we have to add another 600,000, which is the total of the Jewish people. There are 600,000 souls, and of course we know that there are more than 600,000 Jews. It's because our neshamot are comprised of pieces of the main 600,000 souls. And we have to add the, our 600,000 souls to the existing 304,000. And this way, by doing so, we have B'nai Israel, the Torah, and Hashem, B'nai Israel, Oraita, and Kucha Berichu, as one single unit. So the 600,000 letters of the uh, the 600,000 letter Torah of the Jewish people, what, con- what, what consists of us as a nation, is akin to the 304,000 letter Torah that we read from every Monday, Thursday, and Saturday in Jewish holidays. The Jewish people also have to have a selection of various letters and combinations to be the true Sefer Torah of Hashem. Just like when you open a Sefer Torah, you see different letter combinations to create different words. So too, Am Yisrael, they themselves consist of different letter combinations of different types of Jews. And that's why we're different. And we're different because we can learn Torah in different ways and we can serve Hashem in different ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. We ask Hashem to give us the Nes. The Nes here doesn't mean um, the, the miracle. Vesan Nes lekabetz kaliyotenu. Here means a flag, the banner of incentive to unite our various approaches to Torah and Judaism to reach and attain perfection. Twelve tribes. There were twelve children of Yaakov, Aminu, and each of these tribes possess different traits and different talents that would be required and be used by all of their descendants. Uh, and each one is necessary in order that every Shevet find the ability the, uh, uh, to, to fulfill his unique role in the building of Kal Israel. This week's parasha we're going to read is these are the names of the sons of Yaakov that came to Egypt. Ish ubeto ba'u, ish ubeto, man and his uh, and his home. Why do I have to say that? Why not just say Abayim They came to Egypt. Why do you need to tell me that they each man and his house? Because each man and his house is different than his friend's man and his house. Every one of Yaakov Avinu's sons, every Shevet, contained a different facet of their father Yaakov. Yaakov, of course, was a microcosm 
of all of the Jewish people. But that broke up into 12 pieces. Yisachar represented the, the, the element of Torah study. Yehuda represented the element of kingship. Zevulun represented the element of philanthropy. Um, uh, God represented the element of, uh, of, of battle. So these were all things, every, every Shebet had something unique about them. And so too the Jewish people. No matter where you are from, no matter which country you live in or came from, or what Hasidic sect or uh, you you belong to, um, or whether you are Sfaradi or Ashkenazi, you have a different facet, that of Yaakov Avinu. That's one way to explain this concept, this uh, this idea, this incentive to to unite. Another explanation is the approach to Torah from outside of Israel gets filtered through Israel. For example, the approach of Torah in Russia was different than the approach of Torah through in Lithuania. The Jews, uh, you know, the traditional yeshiva system that came through Lithuania was heavily, heavily embodied in, in Gemara, the Gemara study. The, the, the way, the method of Torah study that was in the Sephardic lands, such as Iraq, and uh, Morocco and Syria was very much halacha based. Even in Spain, Rav Yosef Karo, of course, being the, uh, the Rambam, very much halachic based. Each galut is responsible for a slightly different facet of Torah Judaism. Uh, in in uh, in other parts of Europe, where the where the Hasidim were born and grew, there was a, the the element of the musar and the neshama and bettering a person. Um, uh, uh, almost many times more than the actual study of uh, of literal text. So we see that in different parts of the world, there was a different emphasis given on another part of Judaism. And maybe that's what we mean when we say, Give us an incentive to feel the necessity of uniting our exiles. And that's how we achieve the perfection that comes from all unity of all facets throughout the generations in all the places that we lived in. So while I might be someone who is strong in halacha and I'm not strong in, in Musar and ethics, or I, one person might be strong in his Hasidic study, but he's not as strong in his Talmudic study. So therefore the coming, the, un, the unification of the Jewish people will get, will, will get, will allow everybody to draw from their fellow brother and sister the elements that they are uh, lacking. We'll end with the practical aspect of recognizing that unity and harmony are desirable and crucial to bringing the Geulah. There's so many approaches, like we said, to living a Torah life, and every approach um, has its legitimate proofs and respectable leaders. And it's not to take away from any of these leaders in the Lithuanian Torah world or the Hasidic Torah world or the Sephardic Torah world. If I live one way, okay, ultimately what that means is that I exclude others. If I want to live my life as a staunch Hasidic Jew, then I'm excluding maybe the uh, Sephardic Jew who doesn't might not have as much interest as being uh, living a Hasidic lifestyle. Um, the Gemara in the end of Masechet Ta'anit, very cryptic Gemara, one that's well known but has so much deep meaning to it, talks about that in the future world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to make a circular dance for all the tzaddikim, and he, God, is going to be in the center. 
And all of the tzaddikim that are sitting around in this circle and dancing in this circle will point to him and say that this is the God that we were waiting for. This is the God that we were waiting for. Let us revel and rejoice in his salvation. This is how the Gemara in Masechet Tanit ends. What's going on over here? What is the meaning, the deeper meaning of this Gemara? And again says the Chafet Chaim, there are many different tzaddikim with various approaches to Torah and Avodat Hashem. Every tzaddik, every leader feels that his is closest to the truth and thus he is closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in the future, in the end of times, God is going to reveal that as long as your derech, as long as your way was on the circle, meaning as long as your way was faithful to all 613 mitzvot, and you're faithful to the 13 principles of faith that are brought down by the Rambam, even though one derech might be at point X on the circle, and the other derech is going to be on point Y of the circle, and they are 180 degrees directly across from each other, the path to the center is equal. And more than that, it takes all the various points to make the circle perfect, and complete. And that's what the Chahal, the Chafetz Chaim explains this concept of the circle and the people dancing around pointing to Hashem. It doesn't mean that every point is perfect. There are need for corrections, for improvements, for adjustments, whether you are Sephardic, Ashkenazi, or you are Hasidic, or a, a Litvak. But if it's on the circle, then a slight deviation is not going to invalidate you. It just means that you just need to put be put back in place. It would involve a rebuke, but rebuke out of love. It would be rebuke out of concern, out of respect, so that the circle can be perfect again. And that is why the Chachamim tell us that the evil that was apparent at the time of the destruction of the second Bet Hamidash was that they were not yashar, they were not straight. They judged anyone who differed from their approach to their Torah and their Hashkafa. They hated them, L'Shem Shamayim, which led to murder L'Shem Shamayim. And that's what even took place. It's unfortunate that we still see this prevalent in, in our days, where, where we are not willing to accept that there could be other Jews in this world that serve Hashem differently, that have their own way of fulfilling the 613 mitzvot and, 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 and their avodat Hashem and their emunah. And that doesn't mean that I have to invalidate them just because I don't feel connected in their way. In fact, the opposite. Kibbutz, like we said, kibbutz kaliyot can only come when I understand the importance of what how they're, they're doing it and try to come together and bridge. The Gemara says in Masech and Megillam, the building of fools is tearing down, and the tearing down of the Chachamim is building. What does this mean? The Katska Rebbe explains as follows, that the immature, unlearned people build themselves up by tearing down other people, whereas truly learned people effect the tearing down of the negative influences around them by concentrating and building themselves up. Meaning, often it's a result of insecurity of not knowing clearly what one's own direct um, meaning and purpose is what causes out to lash out 
and negate other people's derech. It's because you don't know what you, you are about. If you know clearly who you are and what your purpose is, and you're secure in your path, if you know you have a seat at that table, you have a seat in that circle, you can define yourself by what you are and not and not by process of elimination. There was once a, a, a mashal of a man who was so insecure of himself that he could only identify himself by his clothing that he wore. So one day, he went to the mikveh, and he went to the mikveh, but he, when you go to the mikveh, you have no clothing. So what did he do? How does he know that, how would he know with no clothing that he was actually he? So he would tie a red string around one of his toes. And then he would look at the red string, he would say that um, this is uh, this is me. As he entered the mikveh, the red string fell off and landed on someone else's foot. And when he, they both came out of the mikveh, he looked at the person and he says, I know who you are, but who am I? So in order to properly prepare ourselves to appreciate the beauty of the banner, that banner of unity and harmony among Jews, it behooves us to be able to identify ourselves by more than superficial externals such as dress um, that at times become the deciding factors of how we identify and relate to a fellow Jew. Oh, that person has a black hat. I don't really want to converse with that person. Oh, that woman is wearing jeans. That's not someone who I want to talk to because I, you know, I don't think they're important enough. Oh, that person is wearing that color kippah and that person is wearing this color kippah. So maybe I'm, I feel more comfortable over there. It's all wrong. It is wrong. If we make the effort to educate ourselves and our children, both at home and in our institutions uh, of Torah learning, our schools, to really appreciate the shitot of everyone, the hashkafot of all types of Jews, in a positive, meaningful way, then eventually we will negate the negatives that are inherent in all the various shitot, building ourselves up and not tearing each other down. That is a crucial component. To raise our banner. Let every person see each other's banner. If I'm a Moroccan Sephardic Jew and that, that loves this way and derech of learning Torah, this is my banner. But I also want to see your banner. I want to see what you're about. I want to see what I'm missing. I want to see what I can gain from you. And this way, when we all stand around the circle, and we're all showing each other's banners, the banners are all pointing to one place, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the middle, because each one of us have our, our own methods to reach, we are our own armies to reach Hashem in our own unique ways, because we are all children of, of Yaakov. That is the second stage of Kibbutz Galiot. I, I invite you uh, to join me next time as we look at the third stage of Kibbutz Galiot, and then we will in, um, um, indulge more into the, the actual text of the blessing and see some of the secrets that are behind the words of this very, very precious 10th Beracha of the Amidah, the Shmona Esre, Teka Beshofar Gadol Lecherutenu, Vesanes Lekabetz Galiotenu. Wishing everybody a wonderful night, and I hope to see you next week.